Hello and welcome to London Guided Walks podcast. In the coming episodes, we'll be sharing our love and passion for London, its people, places and history in a 20-minute espresso shot with a splash of personality. I am Hazel Baker, CEO and founder of LondonGuidedWalks.co.uk, providing private tours, treasure hunts and live London quizzes to Londoners and visitors alike. Joining me today is Ian McDermott, City of London tour guide and financial London lecturer. So Ian, tell me, when did the City of London take off as a financial centre? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I think London has always dominated England's finance, but it really takes off as an international financial centre in the modern sense in the late 17th and early 18th centuries. And this is a period that historians describe sometimes as the financial revolution. And really, it's a period when the financial markets gets going and London really takes off as a centre for international finance. Ooh. So what was this financial revolution? And why aren't we taught about it at school? Well, it's interesting why it's not more widely taught at school. I think that reflects the fact that finance isn't given the prominence in not just education, but in culture that it really deserves. The city, for example, is of enormous importance to the uh, British economy today. It's the most important part of the British economy. And yet a lot of people are relatively ill-informed about it and what it does. Uh, Going back to the financial revolution itself, there are various components to it. There are institutional changes which are taking place, and we can identify here the foundation of coffee houses, which uh, develop as places to do business in. We can mention the founding of the Bank of England, which is of enormous importance, and the development of a very important London institution, the Royal Exchange, which I don't think a lot of people are very familiar with the Royal Exchange in, in the sense that they go past the building but they don't actually know what took place there. In addition to these institutional changes you crucially you get the development of the origins of modern markets so the origins of modern markets in shares, bonds, insurance, commodities all date back to this period and the other thing about the financial revolution is the fact that it mobilises England's savings. So in this period, particularly in the early 18th century, England is becoming the most successful economy in the world. Uh, there are the beginnings at this stage of uh, changes in agricultural practice, the so-called agricultural revolution, which makes which will help make England's uh, agriculture much more efficient and leads to a relatively very wealthy landowning class. But more importantly, probably you have the development of English overseas trade in this period. And it is in this period, the late 17th century and early 18th century, that English shipping begins to dominate world's trade. Uh, Previous to this period, it had been the the Dutch, probably, who had been the supreme maritime power. But by the 18th century, you've got English ships appearing all over the world, including in the Baltic, which had up to that stage really been uh, basically a, a Dutch lake. So what's the connection between shipping, commerce and the city? Well, essentially, it means that the English merchants are becoming extremely rich, or some of them are, and some of their wealth they want to invest. So before this period, before that of the financial revolution, if you were 
in England, but pretty much anywhere, and you wanted to invest your wealth, you'd put it into land. And with the financial revolution, you get the ability to, in economic speak, invest in financial securities. Well, what does that mean? It means you can put your wealth into things like shares, bonds, things that you can buy and sell very easily. And again, a bit of jargon, that means that they're liquid. You you can buy and sell them easily. And so in this period, you have a lot of very rich merchants seeking a home for their wealth. Yes, they'll want to buy a landed estate, but along with other wealthy people, they'll want to diversify and begin to put their money into other forms of investment. And perhaps it's worth speaking here a little bit about the um, dark side of English commerce here, which of course is the slave trade, because one of the coffee houses was that that's important in this story, which you can see in the heart of the the city, is the Jamaica. Jamaica was where West Indian merchants met, and the West Indian merchants were the the, the wealthiest merchants, and. There's a lot of debate about how important slavery was to the English economy in the 18th century, but I think the answer is it was pretty important because by about 1800, sugar, uh, which is the key as a key component of the triangle trade of which slaves are a part, uh, sugar accounts for fully 25% by value of English uh, English imports. It's absolutely huge. So I was saying that you can see the Jamaica. What you're looking at now is a, a modern pub. Uh, it's actually a 19th century building. But the Jamaica is on the site of an earlier coffee house. And that coffee house is actually on the site where coffee was first sold in London back in 1652 by an enterprising Greek-speaking man named Pasper Rosé. Yes, I remember going there on your financial London tour, actually. It's really quite remarkable, the history. Um, It would be good to understand a bit more about coffee houses, what they were and why they were so important. Well, the coffee house, they provided offices, really, in a period that didn't have offices so the coffee house was a place where you would go and the most important thing from our point of view that they would do there is to transact business so in the Jamaica West Indian merchants would get together and they, they would do business with each other but they were also important places just to meet like-minded individuals and uh, exchange opinions and exchange news they were more, in a more formal sense, they were very important in the consumption and production of news because they subscribed to the newspapers. So this period uh, that we're talking about is also the period of a uh, uh, great growth in newspaper publication, uh, expansion of uh, the production of newspapers. And the newspapers would be um, subscribed to, so you could go and read them in the coffee houses, but also a lot of the news was actually uh, produced in the coffee houses themselves. And there were also places where you could get your mail forwarded to, and they were places of conviviality. There were places where people could go just not not just to drink coffee, um, but also to drink um, other things as well. So Garraways uh, is, was very well known at the time for its uh, the quality of its cherry brandy and its sandwiches. But the central point, obviously, is that they are places where you can drink coffee. And the great advantage of coffee is, in this period, it's a drink that isn't intoxicating, and yet is safe to drink. So before this time, a lot of people would be drinking so-called small beer. Small beer is weak beer, and the alcohol is important because it kills off, off the germs. But with coffee, you can, you're obviously in a fit state to carry on doing business. I suppose another advantage to coffee, that with the caffeine, it perks you up as well. It doesn't make you go to sleep like alcohol does. 
Well, Pasqua Rosé was a, a, a great propagandist in the cause of coffee, and he asserted there were all kinds of um, health benefits to it, which I think nowadays we would regard as being rather dubious. It's also worth pointing out, perhaps, that 17th century coffee would have been extremely bitter to our taste now. Pasqua Rosé, who, just to remind you, is the, is the man who is credited with first selling coffee in London, he starts off in 1652 and he's very soon selling uh, 600 dishes of coffee a day. Now, the fact he's selling dishes of coffee indicates that the consumption of coffee was a little bit different from the way we drink coffee now. Um, It was filtered through oyster shells. As I say, the taste would be quite different. And there's a great quote from a contemporary, if I can remember it. He says something like, the coffee tastes like the essence of old boot mixed with a syrup of soot. Delicious. Yeah, um, and I think um, we would probably agree with him if we were transported back in time to Pasqua Rosé's coffee shack. Well, I'll say that. I have the same feeling when I'm drinking Turkish coffee, though. It's not a particular love of mine. No, I, I like Turkish coffee. I think it's I think it's good. Talking about the importance of coffee houses and linking with newspapers, and that's where people would get their news because, of course, they don't have Twitter feeds or anything at the time. And this is where we get the phrase to hear a pin drop as well, isn't it? Yes, that's right. So I was talking earlier about coffee houses where merchants met, and the importance of these for our story is simply that the merchants are one of the key elements providing the the wealth behind the financial revolution. But more directly relevant to our story are the coffee houses that are dedicated to what we would call the trading of financial instruments and commodities. And one of the coffee houses is Garraway's, and Garraway's was originally a coffee house where merchants from the Hudson Bay Company would meet to auction off their pelts and it then diversifies into a whole range of commodities, things like tea. And auctions at Garraway's would be by candle and the way this would work would be that the auctioneer would have a pin and he would place that in a candle. He would then light the candle and having lighted the candle, the auction process had begun. People could then, once the candle is lit, people could shout out their bids for whatever is being sold off. And then when once the wick had burnt down to where the pin was, the auction period would be closed. And the person who had put in the highest bid at that time would then be the uh, lucky owner of the goods on sale. But it didn't always work like that. Uh, You can imagine that sometimes there would be some rather perhaps unsuccessful traders who weren't very good at reading the market and they might have brought along the sixth consignment of wine that day and nobody wanted really to buy it. And so the auctioneer starts off the process, he lights the candle, uh, he calls out for the bids to be made and the room is silent. And if the room was silent, it would be so quiet that you could hear a pin drop, i.e. at the end of the auction period, the pin would drop out of the candle and fall into the little brass tray, I guess, beneath. (laughs) Awkward. Mm. (laughs) So you've talked about Garraway's for commodities. What other ones were there? Well, there was Jonathan's, which was where people met to trade shares. And the most important shares at this period would be those of the Bank of England and the East India Company. And I was saying earlier how important the coffee houses were in the production and consumption of news. And thanks to a French Huguenot immigrant, i.e. French Protestant immigrant by the name of Carstang, there is every day produced a list of prices of shares in London, which people within 
relatively easy reach of London can then keep a fairly close eye on the value of their investments and look at how shares are performing. In addition, there is uh, Lloyd's Coffee House, which is perhaps the most famous of them all. Uh, Lloyd's actually starts off towards the Tower of London, but then moves up to uh, Lombard Street. And there's a little plaque on Lombard Street saying where the, the second Lloyd's was. And Lloyd's was a coffee house for insurance. And the way shipping was the most important aspect of the insurance market at this time. And the way shipping insurance would work would be that you would write a ship's name on a piece of paper. So the name of the ship goes at the top of the piece of paper and then the people who want to insure it write their name underneath. And this is where we get the name underwriter from. Mm. And the way it would work is that you would underwrite, i.e. you would undertake to insure perhaps an eighth or a twelfth of a ship. Uh, you would want to avoid, thus avoiding the, the, the risk that would be entailed if you were um, insuring a, an entire ship on your own. So these are the three crucial ones, really, in terms of direct involvement for modern trading, the development of modern markets. And perhaps it's worth sort of spelling out that I've mentioned commodities, I've mentioned shares, I've mentioned insurance. London is the biggest market in all three of these areas still today within the European time zone. So it all sounds so fascinating, but what happened to these coffee houses? Why have we now got Starbucks? Well, I'm not quite sure why we've got Starbucks. Uh, in terms of the demise of the coffee houses as placing as places for trading financial instruments and financial services, what happens in the 18th century and increasingly in the 19th century is you get the institutionalisation. So the share traders at a certain point leave the premises of the coffee houses and they go off and they found the London Stock Exchange. The Jerusalem Coffee House, which is one I haven't mentioned yet, is one which then later develops into the London Metal Exchange, which is still going strong. So there is, I think, probably as the market develops, as it becomes more crowded, there are more people, there are larger amounts of money, the coffee houses become too small, too quaint. You need larger premises and you also need the formalisation of organisations. You, you need to have regulation to keep the markets going and to try to keep a lid on fraud. You mentioned the Bank of England before. Was it true that it was created to fund a war? Yes, the Bank of England is founded in 1694 with the principal objective of reducing the cost of English government debt. And this is incredibly important because England needs to borrow a lot because from this period on she's involved in a long succession of wars against the French. And the English government is able to borrow at rates much lower than the, the French government can and this is due largely to the Bank of England. So the Bank of England is set up in 1694 and the first tranche of money that it lends to the government comes from the sale of shares in itself to members of the public. So the Bank of England raises a lot of money through selling shares. That Most of that money is then on lent to the government. After that, the, the money raised by the Bank of England is through the Bank of England uh, acting as the British government's, English government's and then British government's uh, issuing agent. And this is when it issues bonds on behalf of the government. And this is an incredibly important role. And what's significant in England and uh, later Great Britain after the unification with, with Scotland is that it is Parliament that controls the purse strings. And this is a system which people can have faith in. So MPs will be owners of 
British government debt and Bank of England shares. Perhaps more importantly, their constituents will be. And so all these people have an interest in ensuring that this system carries on, that the Bank of England doesn't go under. And this is in contrast to Europe, and in particular France, which is England's enemy, where the French king, and Louis XIV does this, can simply declare bankruptcy. And if you are owned money by the king, that's it. You've got no recourse whatsoever. And as a result of this, the English are able to borrow money much more cheaply than the French do. And this is a key aspect in enabling them to sustain this long period of wars against the French. French economy is much, much bigger than the English economy at the beginning of this period. France's population is much, much larger than England's. And yet, eventually, over a very, very long run, England is going to emerge victorious. And I think if you had suggested to Louis XIV, who had the English king, Charles II, as in his pocket, I mean, he was literally subsidising Charles II. If you'd mentioned to him that in a 100 or so years' time, England would emerge victorious over France, he'd probably look at you with disbelief. The Bank of England plays an important role in this story. So this is how um, the Bardi family collapses, isn't it, with Edward III? Yes, though from an earlier period it's very similar. Um, Edward III had an expensive series of wars to finance. He borrowed, borrowed heavily from uh, Florentine bankers, in particular the Bardi and Peruzzi, and um, he failed to pay them back and they collapsed and this caused a huge uh, recession in, in Florence at the time. And what about the Royal Exchange? The uh, Royal Exchange is founded in the 16th century by Thomas Gresham and it's a place for merchants to meet undercover and uh, it, if you know it, it's still got the same design. It's a 19th century building but it's got the outline of the earlier one it, and it consists of a courtyard and the courtyard itself was demarcated into walks where merchants from various areas would meet. The importance for us, though, is it, that it's a place around these merchants where financial trading develops. And financial trading in bills of exchange, which are basically short-term pieces of paper, uh, the modern, modern equivalent of those is the money market, and, but also the foreign exchange uh, market develops around these. Merchants obviously need foreign exchange to finance the import of foreign goods and to convert their earnings back into their own currency. And both these markets, the money markets and the foreign exchange markets, are still enormously important to London. Thanks very much for that. You're welcome. You can join Ian and explore the heart of the capital's financial markets and walk down the narrow alleyways where the deals were done in the 17th and 19th century. The calendar for scheduled guided walks and private tours are both available on our website, londonguidedwalks.co.uk. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do take a few moments and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thanks again and see you next time. (music) 